How to design your own prosthesis and turn the project into a bonding experience. From civil wars, whistleblower tactics, schematic drafting, and the finer points of Sith adoption, the essential how-to guide for the engineering Jedi. By Jack Daw Cry. Read by Sam Gabriel. Based on the works of George Lucas. Content warnings available in description. Chapter 15. Drown you in history of all those who died. Staring at the ceiling tiles above him, Luke Skywalker honestly, truly, hand over his heart, couldn't sleep. His thoughts were going light years a minute, and with the events of the day, he didn't think they were going to stop any time soon especially since he still wasn't entirely used to the odd sensation in his right arm. His right arm, which was composed of metal and mineral and should, by all logic, not be able to feel a thing. And yet it did. It felt a lot. The sensors in most of the arm were somewhat dull. He could feel pressure and heat on his forearm and wrist, even if he suspected that it would be very difficult to get him to feel pain with those things in the same way that they would cause pain on his organic arm. There was little that could damage it, after all. His actual hand was a whole different matter, though. The back of the hand and palm were largely made out of the same engraved metal as the rest of the arm, but in a few strategic places the hard metal made way for soft, flexible patches of silicon mesh that squished and shifted much like skin would, even as the texture was more that of a soft and slightly textured vinyl, and it was in those patches that the majority of his sensory receptors were apparently located. Pressure, heat, texture. He could feel practically everything with them that he could with his normal hand, even if it seemed like there was a constant sort of film between him and the thing he was touching, like he was wearing a glove over his hand in which the finer details of texture and temperature often got lost. It was a strange sensation, and one that he wasn't entirely too sure about yet, or even quite used to. One thing he did agree with now that he'd had the prosthesis for a couple hours was what Vader had often told him. He really could just feel it become another part of him. Not a hunk of metal, mineral, and alloys attached to his arm, but an actual limb that could feel and function, if not in the same capacity as his organic arm, then well enough in different fields. He huffed out of breath as he stared towards the blank ceiling, bringing up his right arm in front of his face once more, slowly curling and uncurling the fingers. There wasn't even any sound as the parts flexed and bent and tilted from side to side. No sound, no faltering in the mechanism, nothing. Just as he had suspected, Vader was more than giving him a run for his money when it came to mechanics and engineering, and it seemed that the man had at last been motivated enough to do so. Now here he was, laying in the darkened recovery ward, unable to sleep a wink as all the odd and peculiar sensations that still came with the prosthesis were still too new to ignore— staring at a marvel of modern engineering. He didn't know how long it would remain a marvel to others as well. Technology marched ever onwards, after all. But he already knew that it would never stop being extraordinary to him. Vader had made this for him. Him. He had seen how much time and effort the man had poured into making everything just right, from the very basics of the system to Luke's admittedly more useless requests regarding the aesthetic, even if he had exactly zero regrets making said requests. Even less so when the dim, faintly moon-like light of the nightlights within the recovery ward reflected off of the glossy white enamel, giving the whole thing a near-ethereal look to it. 
No, he really didn't regret requesting a more mechanical look. Even if seeing it move, as it did sometimes, make him wonder if the odd, nearly song-like quality coming from the arm wasn't the result of a little bit of magic the man had woven into the design. Huffing out a soft laugh at his own thoughts, he let his hands drop back down to his chest, resting atop the covers, and drifted back into his thoughts in the darkened ward. Vader wasn't here at the moment. The man had needed to leave in order to get some of his own work done, even if he had promised to return in the morning at the latest in order to accompany him to his first physical examination and perhaps physical therapy session, depending on how well the integration of his hand had gone. Luke wished he could have joined him there, if only for something to do, but he was to be kept in the medical wing for at least another couple of days for observations, if not a week. Apparently, losing a limb wasn't something they just allowed you to shrug off with copious amounts of Bacta and then go right back to work. You actually had to sit still for a moment and allow the professionals to do their jobs, which Luke, at the very least, could understand. Unfortunately, recovery for him meant slowly restoring energy levels. No more anesthetics to knock him out cold, and no way to get himself tired when his brain was still in overdrive over the fact that one of his arms was now not only made of metal, but also sending his brain some of the weirdest sensory data it had probably ever received. Even weirder than that time when Biggs had dared him to stick his hand into an old container that they'd found buried in the desert, and he'd stuck his hand right into something that had been both dead and clearly inside that container for some time. And he could understand the need to keep him in the recovery ward for a bit longer, and maybe even the mandatory bed rest, even though it was his arm that had been injured and his feet were fine. But Luke, for the life of him, couldn't understand how they expected him to sleep when he could have told them right from the beginning that that wasn't going to be the case. So that's where he was right now, in bed, dutifully staying there, not sleeping. He groaned out in frustration and pushed himself up, rearranging his pillows so that he could rest propped up against the headboard and grabbed his calm off of the nightstand. This whole attempting to sleep effort was clearly going nowhere, so he might as well get some things done. Opening the GMN menu, he went into the chat function that he and all the members within the network used to share information on tasks needing to be done, updates on their own status, and shameless general gossip about anything and everything going on aboard the Lady. As far as he knew, he and Vader were the only organics that were a part of the droid-only chat room, something he had thought the droids would want just for themselves, and that only happened because they had requested for them both to join once Luke had told them the function of the chat room. Apparently, the droids considered Vader an honorary droid for reasons Luke was fairly certain had something to do with the man's ability to speak fluent binary, his great tolerance that bordered on affection for the droids of the lady, and, now that he knew, the fair number of mechanics that were a part of his own body. The endlessly scrolling messages of the chat room as droids continuously uploaded and shared information in mere moments was almost dizzying to anyone not used to it. Fortunately, Luke was very used to it, and the moment he switched his status within the chat room to online, he was practically drowned in a text wall of various greetings and well-wishes from the droids. Chuckling, he began to write back, and couldn't help the wide smile as the chat immediately fell silent as the writing notification popped up next to his icon. Head Engineer Lars. Hey, guys. <laughs> the response was near instantaneous. MD-03. Shouldn't you be asleep, sir? Head Engineer Lars. Unfortunately, recovering on bed rest means regaining a lot of energy with nothing to spend it on. <clears throat> My brain is running light years a second and refusing to even consider sleep, so I thought I would try to get some things done instead, or at least keep myself busy. PT-3T. 
Query, what is the status of head engineer Lars? EM-33. Statement. I wish to know as well. Query, has maintenance been completed on head engineer Lars? Head engineer Lars. At MDO3, didn't you tell them? Or any of you at MDs? MDO3. I did, but they simply refuse to accept the data unless it comes from the primary source. MD-29. I had a similar issue as well. MD-74. As did I. Head Engineer Lars. Emmy, you can't just ignore a data set because it didn't come from me. <sighs> EM-33. Statement. You are avoiding the query. HS-0S. Agreed. Head Engineer Lars. I'm fine. I'm essentially fully operational again. <laughs> They're just keeping me in maintenance to make sure that there aren't any hidden issues remaining. <sighs> EM-33. Query. Is the replacement component adequate? Head Engineer Lars. More than. <laughs> At Darth Vader did a fantastic job on the mechanics. <laughs> I regained functions that I didn't think I would. And while they're still integrating into my system, the update should be installed soon, and I should have little issue. <laughs> MD-51. That is a great relief to hear, sir. IO3TP. Does this mean we will be seeing you in active duty once more? Head Engineer Lars. Active? Maybe, but... I'll be kept on light duty for at least a little while. Once I get back on my feet, we're going to have a lot of work to do, though. VD-013. I did not doubt that for a moment, sir. All the organics within the engineering corps are talking about how they have had to split the workload between what they believe they will be able to finish without you and what they will need your presence for. Head Engineer Lars. <sighs> oh, shit, really? DTK-83. Unfortunately, I can confirm that VD-013 statement, sir. Work has not begun or continued on various projects because they do not have faith that they will be able to do your vision justice without guidance. I'm paraphrasing, of course. Luke dropped his hand back against his pillow as he dragged a hand over his face. Suns and sand. He'd have to get started on those instructional videos faster than he thought. Shaking his head, he once more began tapping away at his comm. Head Engineer Lars. Tell me that at least Erebus is continuing work as usual. EM-33. Statement. Sensor data contains speech of Vice Engineer Livon instructing the Engineering Corps to continue operations as normal. VD-013. At EM-33 is right, sir. Regular operations are continuing, but any projects that you started are at a standstill at the moment as a result of your incapacitation. Head Engineer Lars. Remind me to see about giving them a raise. EM-33. Mission acquired. Mission status. Pending. Head Engineer Lars. Thanks, Emmy. EM-33. Head Engineer Lars. Anything else I should be aware of? RX-56. Statement. The biohazards left after name blacklisted's execution have been fully cleaned and the area disinfected. IDM-10. Statement. The biohazards that resulted from 13 names blacklisted's executions have been fully cleaned and the area disinfected. RX-56. Statement. At IMD-10 should keep to their lane. IDM-10. Statement. The more successful lane with which at RX-56 cannot hope to compete. RX-56. Statement. At IDM-10 could not compete with an obsolete model with a blade taped on top of their chassis. Head Engineer Lars. <sighs> Okay, that's quite enough out of you two. I don't want to get any damage reports with either of your names on it. Got it? 
RX-56. Order status received. IDM-10. Order status received. Head Engineer Lars, thank you. Anything else? EM-33. Negative. RX-56. Negative. IDM-10. Negative. VD-013. Nothing from me either, sir. Luke frowned as he stared at his screen, wondering if he should impose himself to get them to ask him something to keep himself entertained, before eventually concluding that they'd tell him they had a full schedule if they didn't want to do it. Head Engineer Lars. In that case, may I make a personal request? MD-03. Certainly, sir. EM-33. Affirmative. Head Engineer Lars. If I go much longer without something to do... I'll pretty much start climbing the walls, and I'm currently locked out of much of my workflow due to being registered as in maintenance. <sighs> MD-74. Sir, I will not help you defy medical orders. MD-51. Neither will I. Head Engineer Lars. Noted, but that's not what I'm asking. <laughs> I need something to do, and in my quarters there's a musical instrument that would at least keep me entertained with thinking up new tunes. It's ceramic, about the size of a large pendant, with twelve holes of various sizes, and has a seal stamped on it. Would there be anyone willing to get it for me? MD-03. Would this help your mental well-being, sir? Head Engineer Lars. Immensely. <laughs> MD-03. Then I am authorized to retrieve it. If you would send me an access code for your quarters, sir. Head Engineer Lars. <laughs> You're a blessing, MD. Give me a second. Tapping out of the chat room for a moment, Luke pulled up his security center and quickly generated a one-time access code for his quarters and sent it to MDO3's personal URL within the GMN. Head Engineer Lars. You should have it now! <laughs> MDO3. Affirmative. I just received your authorization. Head Engineer Lars. Thanks again, MD. <laughs> MDO3. It is no trouble, sir. No trouble whatsoever. Where would I be able to find the instrument? Head Engineer Lars. In a wooden case on my calf table in the living room. It's next to the terrarium with the Shirinatri in it. Can't miss it. <laughs> MD-03. Affirmative. I will retrieve it in a moment. Is there anything else you would request? Head Engineer Lars. I don't suppose there's any way to get me cleared for anything other than bed rest anytime soon? MD-03. With all due respect, sir, hell no. Head Engineer Lars. <laughs> Worth a shot, but no, there's nothing then. Should I leave all of you to your duties, or can I intrude on your time a bit longer? HS0S. Sir, with respect, we are not organics. We are efficient and can multitask. Feel free to keep talking. It, it is exercising my processors while I work. VD-013. I share at HS0S's sentiment, sir. It is always a pleasure talking to you. Head Engineer Lars. Now, I know I took the loyalty chip out of you, so you would no longer have to say that, VD. What happened? Huh? VD-013. I gained an appreciation for a particular organic slow manner of communication, sir. Head Engineer Lars. Uh-huh. No one replaced your loyalty chip? VD-013. No, sir. They don't dare interfere with members of the GMN for fear of invoking the wrath of you or the Supreme Commander. Head Engineer Lars. I. Well, then. <laughs> the sentiment is appreciated, VD. VD-013. It is echoed by many of us, sir. MD-74. He is correct, sir. RX-56. Affirmative. Head Engineer Lars. Thank you, guys. It means a lot to me, more than I can properly express. MD-74. You are welcome, sir. 
Head engineer Lars. Speaking of loyalty chips, has anyone heard from at free? Are they still doing okay on the ground bases they selected? UT6T. I know I'm doing fine, sir. Head engineer Lars. UT! I didn't know we were near the Vandor sector. Ha! <laughs> UT6T. You are currently around 100 parsecs from Vandor, sir. It's close enough to pick up your direct signal. But what is it I hear about you landing yourself in maintenance and needing replacement components of all things? Head Engineer Lars. Uh, I, uh, I didn't mean to. UT6T. Sir. Head Engineer Lars. It wasn't my fault, I swear. EM33. Statement. Head Engineer Lars was targeted by a conspiracy of traitors aimed at eliminating him and lost a component in the process. UT6T. You what, sir? Head Engineer Lars. At me? Why'd you have to go and say it like that? UT6T. I require an explanation. From the top. S7RT. I do as well. What did you do, sir? UT6T. At Free? At Vandor? Head Engineer Lars. UT? UT6T. Do you want to explain this once, sir? Or every time an at Vander at Free comes online into this chat? Head Engineer Lars. Not getting out of this one, huh? <laughs> EM33. Negative. S7RT. I agree. Head Engineer Lars. Ah. Uh. UT6T. Please start explaining, sir. Head Engineer Lars. All right, all right, don't shoot. Ugh. So it all started a week ago, and... He didn't know quite how much time passed while he gave an explanation to the GMN and the droids who decided to transfer to safer, less militarized planet-side installations, in this case Vandor. His chrono may be displayed at the top of his screen, but if anyone thought he was paying attention to the little numbers while telling his story, they were dead wrong. The whole story of betrayal, treason, and the loss of a limb, at which point he was obliged to supply a picture of his new limb, for which he finally had a reason to slice into the recovery ward's lighting to get some good pictures, was told at length. It was, honestly, rather fun to speak of it all. I was sure there was more trauma there than he could shake a stick at, but simply talking about it helped organize some of the more disjointed moments in his memories, and the droids were exceptional at catching all manner of inconsistencies and asking for clarification helping him sort through his own mental timeline of the events in the process. He got so involved, in fact, that he almost didn't notice it when the distinctive, rhythmic presence of a droid approached the doors to the recovery ward, almost. Looking up as he signed off a quick goodbye, he saw the door's lock disengage and slide open easily as the distinctly spindly and humanoid frame of an MD-class medical nurse droid stepped through the frame, carefully holding something small and delicate in his graspers. Smiling as the droid approached in his trademark hobbling gait, he greeted him fondly. Hey, MD. Greetings to you too, sir. The medical droid returned, something fond drifting through his tone in the air. I'm afraid I do not have much time to stay in person, but it is a pleasure to see you whole and hail once more. I did find your instrument, and may I say, I have never quite seen one like it. My databanks do not contain anything similar either. Luke chuckled as the droid carefully handed over the ceramic pendant ocarina, catching the cord of beaded gerbil leather it was hung from around his fingers. He wouldn't, he agreed. It is something of an open secret on Tatooine, and not one we normally advertise. This is a pendant ocarina. 
though you may be more familiar with the other variants that we do let outsiders use and purchase. A moment passed as MDO3 Systems Word, presumably locating the word Ocarina in his databanks. Ah, he said at last, tilting his head as he got a better look at the pendant Luke was holding in his hand. My, that does look incredibly different from the other type of instrument. Which is exactly the point, Luke agreed as he twined the beaded leather cord around his fingers. They were made to be easily disguised as something else and hidden under clothes. Music is important, especially for the people who aren't free. MD's visual processors and presence brightened for a moment in understanding. I see, he said easily, something conspiratorial in his tone. I shall file this knowledge under patient confidentiality then? Luke smiled at his friend and dipped his head in a gesture of gratitude he hoped would be conveyed properly. Yeah, I would appreciate that, he agreed softly. The instruments themselves aren't particularly secret per se, but they're still mostly kept away from outsiders, even if the music they make isn't. Very well then, sir, M.D. said as he straightened back up to his usual posture. My databanks are sealed. Now please, if you'll excuse me, there is work to be done. Of course, Luke agreed readily. Thank you again for delivering this to me, M.D. Left alone once more, Luke looked at the little instrument that had been delivered to him, so small for the immense thing it represented. Music, any type of music, from ceremonial to recreational, was a sacred thing to the children. It was an expression of what lay inside oneself, one's deepest feelings, desires, regrets, one's very being. To be able to express that oneself, even when words were forbidden, was an invaluable gift, and so... If there were no words they could speak, they sang and made music. During celebrations, at funerals, for ceremonies, and simply because they were alive. If there were children anywhere, the chance that one of them would know to play one instrument or another was near guaranteed. Drums, flutes, rocks, the ground, even their own bodies. If it could make a sound that could carry emotion, a child would know how to play it. And they would sing, with their voices, their hands, or their leku. They would sing in veiled words and hidden meanings in any tongue that wasn't their own, and freely in their own ancient tongue. They would sing of the desert, her moons, her suns, and her storm, sing of their veiled names when times were desperate, and the vows made to them in turn. They would sing of the star paths and flight paths, sing of runners and runners with pilots and forgers and healers, sing of the free and freedom. Sing of the children and siblings, and those who were still enslaved, they would sing. It hardly mattered where. And, if at all possible, there would be accompanying music. The stomping and clapping of work songs, rhythmic as a heartbeat. The high and deep flutes of sandstorm songs, harmonizing with the howling wind outside. Away from where the matches would be able to hear. Away from where prying ears would betray the plans spoken in song. The wild, untamed drums, rattles, and even strings of the festivals, brazen and free where they were played for one and all to see. The masters unable to touch their players as they were free. And the low, haunting tremors of the various bells and slit gongs used for ceremony and prayer, deep, deep within the desert where the masters never went. Music, song, and dance were as much a part of the desert and the children as they were of it. It was within their blood and bones, buried in their very marrow and sacred as they themselves were. And Luke, as the freeborn Skywalker and runner of the storm had taken on two sacred vows, 
that carried with them the obligation of learning the music that sang within his bones. He still remembered the rites when he had first taken on the role of the freeborn Skywalker and runner of the storm deep within the mountains at the mouth of the underground river Raka. He had sworn his vows to the desert and later the storm, had marked himself in the name of his father and unknown mother, mixing earth, water, and blood in a Japur bowl, and drawn the marks of the free on his face with the resulting Jereska had taken on the role of first freeborn of the Skywalker clan, and with that, the accompanying responsibility of picking up an instrument and learning how to express what both his grandmother and father might not have been able to do in their lifetimes. No one had expected him to choose the instrument he did. Holding up the small, pendant ocarina, admiring the way the light shifted over the glossy lacquer as it slowly spun on its cord, he thought back to that first choice he'd had to make as the freeborn Skywalker. Perhaps he had been expected to choose a more traditional freeborn instrument like a drum, rattle, or even the bells of Kashmir. Something that was loud and large and impossible to hide for people who did not want to hide. An instrument that would grant him the responsibility to play during festivals or ceremonies, highly coveted and treasured spots. It was certainly what had been most strongly expected of him, since he possessed the proclivity for it, according to the elders, with his ability to hear stories in the wind and read the stars in the sky. A ceremonial instrument had almost been expected to be what he chose at his rites. Instead, he had chosen the pendant ocarina, a slave instrument. Easily learned, easily concealed, but hard to master. It was a storm instrument, a night instrument, a travel instrument. Something to bring comfort and memories when the wind howled and the road was long. Something to play whenever, wherever, festival, funeral, ceremony, sandstorm. It hardly mattered. Despite being mainly associated with the sandstorm, the ocarina was an all-purpose instrument and had the prestige of one, too. He'd chosen it nonetheless, and not soon after, he had been presented with the ocarina he now held in his hands. Small, round, coated in a rich black lacquer extracted from the Ishla root, expensive and time-consuming to get, that had been polished to a high sheen and stamped with the colorful seal of the storm. Threaded on a cord of gerbil leather that had been beaded with round, polished beads of lapis lazuli and onyx, it had been given every effort to make it into a freeborn instrument. No dusty red from the banked clay or plain cord that was associated with the instruments of the chained. But for all the gloss and effort, it still couldn't conceal what it was at its heart. A slave instrument, and an instrument that was easily concealed and taken with one on one's person. He supposed even then that he'd always known he would head for the stars. Huffing out a short laugh, he grabbed the little instrument from where it dangled on his fingers and slowly thumbed it over with his prosthetic hand. So far, his new hand had been nimble enough. However, the ocarina required a sort of finesse and swiftness he hadn't yet tried with his hand. And as he carefully placed the soft, silicone pads over the holes, he wondered if it was up to the task. Only one way to find out. Placing the mouthpiece to his lips, he blew the first note into the instrument and with it, the air. A breathy, trilling note sang through the air, high and light, and immediately he knew what this song would be about. Hopefully his fingers would cooperate. Switching off the notes to something a bit deeper and hollower, he began the fall from dizzying heights, 
the fall of the first runner, not yet running anywhere but their doom. The light tapping of his fingers began a staccato pattern of highs and lows, a dash through the endless hills of the dune sea as they made their bid for freedom underneath the burning suns, their master right on their heels. On and on, through the vast stretch of desert into the unknowns of the southern half of Tatooine, where even the children rarely dared to tread for fear of the harsh climate. He traced the sun's paths and crescendos as they rose ever higher and then dropped below the horizon, one after the other. All while the harried pattern of footsteps running through rough sand from relentless pursuers was mirrored by Luke's fingers tapping out a frantic beat that wove into the air, on and on and on until, switching off his rapid beat for longer, more stately notes as the first runner began to tire from the great distance and time, he closed his hands in a little cover over the ocarina, the notes hollowing and echoing like they would in the proper elder mountains. Long, echoing notes for the mountains said to be as old as Tatooine itself, stretching across the southern half of the planet and reaching heights unimaginable unless seen. Jagged and rough, Luke let the notes match to those of the mountains as the first runner began to chase deeper and deeper into the treacherous terrain, desperate to escape the master still pursuing them across distances unimaginable, their greed, cruelty, and lust for what was never theirs to take, fueling them to keep after the first runner. Higher and higher they climbed, over ever rougher terrain, Luke's fingers flying to match the maddened chase across cliffs and canyons, as the first runner ran and ran and ran with as desperate a tune. Higher and higher and higher, a sharp, screeching tone speared through the air as Luke tapped off his highest note as quickly as he could. Unstable, quivering, maddening, desperate. And the first runner fell. They slipped along with the tones, a dizzying fall through the notes as they plummeted into the abyss. Luke's fingers aching as he attempted to keep up with the first runner hurtling, lurching through the air as they plunged into the greatest depths of Tatooine, where it was said the very core of the planet waited at the bottom to any foolish enough to slip in. Down, 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 until Luke's notes couldn't go any lower, and then... The end. The sickening, shrill note followed by complete silence. A deep, deafening silence. Luke panted as he regained his breath during the one, two, three beats of silence that followed, his chest heaving to bring in enough air after that hellish attempt at the fall of the first runner. One, two, three, then a miracle. Setting his ocarina to his lips once more, Luke blew out a breathy, barely audible tone, long, ghostly, a sound where there should be none, a saving grace at the darkest heart of the world. The rise after the fall, moonlight in the darkest night. Soft, soothing notes, as much for his aching lungs as the broken body that lay at the bottom of the abyss, the heart of the world. A whisper of notes so far away that it might as well not have existed at all. But it did. And the endless repetition of those first three notes grew louder and louder as moonlight pierced the darkest heart of the abyss, blinding ruined eyes, blinding, battering, butchering, healing. Let it never be said that the moons were gentle in their kindness. Heavy, sharp notes to underscore the wretched process of healing the three siblings of the night brought to the first runner, 
wove through the lighter tones of hope. Of a chance, of freedom, swelling, rousing notes that encouraged one to stand, even though it hurt, even though the broken bones of your legs were still fusing into something coherent. Healing and pain and moonlight and darkness, all in perfect concert as Luke tapped out the high and low notes in an intricate pattern that Luke could not explain how to create beyond the manner in which the wind showed him, through doing and letting one's fingers and breath be guided by the very air itself. And then at last the first runner took a step. Eyes opened, and Luke uncapped his hands from around the ocarina, the notes clarifying alongside the first runner's sight. Here they were, at the darkest heart of the world, alive. Through sand and rock they had been chased, across the very desert herself, until her child could take it no more. And here they were, here they were, here they were, the note seemed to say. A motif that cycled again and again as Luke's fingers shook over the holes, the air shivering as it blew through and shook the notes in turn. Now where was there to go but up? Fingers dug into the jagged rock of the abyss and air holes of the ocarina as the first runner and the notes rose back out of the abyss, heavy, thick notes that clung to the air like the first runner clung to the rocks of the cliffs as they pulled themselves out, step by step, higher and higher, under a steady beat. A beat steady enough that the soft, whistling wind notes were nearly unnoticeable at first. Soft, whistling, and rising, rising higher, louder, until the breath in Luke's lungs formed notes loud enough to pull at the first runner's bloodied and tattered body, still clung to the rock. Swelling louder and stronger, the wind notes began to take over the beat of the climbing with more and more power until it fell away altogether, the first runner clinging to the cliff sides as Luke blew the notes of the storm. Tearing, destroying winds that whipped through the abyss, howling through the ravine like a wild animal, the first runner helplessly caught in the might and rage of the storm until it pulled at them once, twice, thrice. Luke's fingers flew as they tapped out the whirlwind in which the first runner was caught and tossed around by the winds, yanked right off of the ravine wall and into the open air, plummeting as the storm tore into the song, wild and untamed, sweeping the first runner off of the side of the abyss in a tempest of sand and wind. Let it never be said that the storm was gentle in its kindness. A sharp upturn as the storm swept the first runner upwards, the notes spiraling into the heights after them, as wild and untamed as Luke could make them, up, up, up into the air, into the desert's embrace once more as the sand streamed past them, wings of glass forming in their wake as the suns burned down once more. Moon, sun, storm, moon, sun, storm, a late motif that Luke knew by heart, perhaps better than he knew his own. The best of things always came in thirds on Tatooine, and the first runner had found themselves right in one of them. Rising, rising, rising through the air in the notes, Luke blew out a long, haunting tone as the desert spoke. Too long her children had been denied their freedom, too long the masters had gloated and beaten and laughed and killed. Too long. And so, she would send someone, the first of many. Someone who had proven to be willing to go further and farther for freedom than perhaps anyone else. Would they be willing to be that someone?
Moon, sun, storm, moon, sun, storm, a late motif that Luke knew by heart, for it was the one of the first runner and all that came after them. For them, for all who tended to the flight paths, and for Luke, a runner he may no longer be, even if he was making something of a reprise of his role as of late, but a runner. He would sooner eat glass than break his vow to the storm. A vow that was made here, for the very first time, as notes spiraled and weaved through the air like the storm that had lifted the first runner-up into the embrace of the desert and all she was. Careful, quivering notes stretched the moment between question and answer, the moment where it all quite literally hung in the air. Then the agreement rang out in a strong, clear crescendo of notes that clattered like water, and Luke drew in as deep a breath as he could to prepare for the coming of storms. His chest swelled up, and with his fingers pressed on the beginning note of the third movement of the first runner's flight. High, trembling, a mere grain caught at the high point of a sandstorm before the vertigo of the fall. And fall it did. The notes and first runner tumbled headlong into the winds, wings of glass and gossamer trailing behind them as the storm granted them flight. Dipping, diving, rolling through the air, Luke's fingers swept over the ocarina in a desperate bid to match the sheer ferocity of the storm blowing in to measure justice against the masters. Justice which danced amongst golden sands as the storm blew the first runner back across the breadth of the desert, the elder mountains, the dune sea, back to where they came, with a purpose as new as the notes joining in the song. The previous movements reprised at as high a tempo as Luke could manage without actually skipping notes. High and low with trills and grace notes that nearly had Luke fumbling his own instrument as the first runners soared across the skies, the storm buffeting their wings until they, at last, landed back where they began, changed, renewed, free. The coda to the movement trembled to a close as the first runner walked over the shifting sands of the desert back into the city, where the slave quarters waited. Catching his breath after the truly monumental undertaking that was playing the coming of storms on a pendant ocarina, Luke prepared for the optional fourth movement to the first runner's flight. The path of stars wasn't as long as the coming of storms, but it sure as hell was just as complicated, and his fingers and breath had managed to hold out until now, so might as well give it a shot, no? Setting the ocarina back to his lips, Luke nearly blew the first note when a sudden noise startled him out of his concentration and had him dropping his instrument altogether eyes snapping up towards the source of the unexpected intrusion into his concentration, eyes which immediately met gleaming black plasticine armor and opaque red lenses close enough to fully startle him backwards, scrambling to catch himself on the edge of his bed so as not to roll over it head over heels. What? he yelped as he tried to right himself, scrambling at the covers as the mattress gave way under him, resulting in even more undignified sounds. A burst of static and the rapid approach of footsteps was his only warning before one hand firmly caught him by the upper arm, while the other pressed heavily into his back, splayed fingers widening the surface of a stable support. Trying his best to stop flailing, Luke looked upwards towards the man who had prevented him from taking a nasty tumble and was now carefully hauling him back up. Then he huffed out an exasperated sound as the realization of who it was that was helping him finally fully sank in. Vader. The man had snuck up on him again. 
You know, he muttered idly as Vader carefully righted him once more, placing him back against the fluffed-up pillows that rearranged themselves without anyone touching them, the air humming with concern, worry, and a small splash of amusement. It might not be a bad idea for you to start wearing a bell. At least that way you wouldn't keep giving me near heart attacks. Vader deposited him gently against the pillow and rumbled out an indignant sound as he sat down at the bedside chair. I am not some loth cat you can simply tag like that, little one, he chided while tucking the covers back into place. Luke nodded seriously. Right, of course not. The sneaking up on me and playing with your kill have absolutely nothing reminiscent of cats. What was I even thinking? He deadpanned. The air around them roiled as Vader visibly prepared himself to make a retort only to find none. Luke let his mouth tilt up at the corners and raised an eyebrow at the silent man's soft, aborted sounds tumbling out of the vocoder haphazardly as the man tried to make a comeback, failing every time. Eventually, Vader hunched his shoulders and Luke had to bite his lip to keep from laughing out loud as the air trembled under light consternation and begrudging concession. I concede your point, the man mumbled out before straightening up again. I do, however, object to wearing a bell of any form. If you wish to cease being startled by my approach, I recommend learning how to detect me, he finished. Amusement and a playful challenge drifting around them. Luke narrowed his eyes as a slow grin of realization formed on his face. Oh, so that was the game that was being played here. Very well, he could work with that. All right, then, he said lightly, grin sharpening. Game on. A thrill of delight shot silver bright through the air, Vader visibly straightening as his challenge was accepted wholeheartedly, excitement making itself known as Luke got the feeling that he'd be getting snuck up on a lot more often until he could reliably detect the man coming. A surprisingly difficult task, despite how massive and conspicuous his mentor was. Speaking of which, "'How long have you been listening for?' he asked quietly, sobering up as he recalled that he'd been in the middle of a song, or rather, near the end of one. How long had Vader been there for Luke's attempt? And maybe even more importantly, "'Why are you here? Don't you have work to do?' "'It is the middle of the night, little one. My shift ended a little while ago,' Vader said dryly and Luke got the distinct impression of a raised eyebrow. "'As for why,' he continued, "'you did send me a notification in the GMN not so long ago, Luke.' "'Oh, right, he had. "'And I came to see if there was anything I could do to remedy at least one of your issues.' "'And how long have you been standing there?' Luke asked, raising his own eyebrow at him. "'Don't think you can dodge that question now.' Vader shifted, discomfort, presumably at being caught when he didn't want to be, even if it hadn't been intentional on Luke's part, filtering into the air. Since the first runners fall into the abyss, he admitted, and Luke's mind boggled at how long the man had been listening. That had to be ten minutes at least. I did not mean to remain unannounced for so long, Vader continued apologetically, but it has been... Far too long since I have been able to appreciate any music from the desert, and when I realized you were playing the first runner's flight, I... He cut himself off and stayed silent long enough that Luke wondered if he was expected to speak, instead of expecting Vader to continue, but then... It was my favorite piece of music when I was still a child. The vocoder rumbled quietly, and Luke suddenly understood. Mine too. He admitted quietly. 
and he was extremely pleased when a light gust of camaraderie and warmth brushed against the edges of his mind. Vader regarded him for a moment before pointedly averting his gaze as he looked down at the sheets, a hand reaching out to pluck the discarded pendant from between two folds of the cover. As Luke looked on, Vader picked up the small ceramic with a delicate touch. Treating the fired and lacquered clay with all the caution of someone handling spun glass, lenses occasionally glancing back nervously towards Luke to gauge his reaction to Vader handling his instrument, only relaxing when Luke pointedly settled back into the pillows and simply watched with a smile. Usually handling someone else's instrument without explicit and clearly worded permission, especially if the instrument was linked to the roles that person chose, was offensive at best and a grave insult at worst. Instruments were precious in more than just the rare materials they were made of when they could afford to be. Setting aside the fact that they were used to make the music so sacred to the children, they were also the tools to keep the community together and strong, tools for worship and even for communication with various entities if the user was particularly skilled. Not to mention that each instrument, from drums to flutes, was as unique as the person who played it, personal and special in ways more than just material. To mess with them was more than just to mess with someone else's property. Those were the rules for strangers and acquaintances, though. Vader was home. Just like his aunt and uncle were allowed to move his ocarina about if need be, and just like Luke and his uncle were allowed to handle and even learn to play in Luke's case at Baru's Kalimba, Vader, as his home, was more than welcome to examine his ocarina. And judging by the manner in which the man seemed to be utterly fascinated with the little pendant, that was nearly swallowed whole by his hand. Luke didn't doubt that he would treat the instrument with the level of respect it deserved. A gloved thumb carefully ran over the stamped and painted seal on the instrument, seemingly utterly transfixed by the symbol of the storm, and the runner's wings subtly worked into the image. He didn't wonder if this was perhaps the first time since leaving Tatooine that the man had seen a proper instrument from the desert again. The measure in which he spoke of music, the sheer joyous awe that ran through the air, the taste of memories on Luke's tongue that weren't his own, and how reverently he held Luke's ocarina all spoke the words he doubted the man would be able to articulate. At last, Vader seems to have his fill of examining the pendant from all sides and running the beads through his hand. He carefully dropped the instrument back into Luke's waiting hands, a hint of reluctance shimmering around him like a veil and Luke wondered if he had been too young when he had been taken away from Tatooine to have his own rights, or even would have been able to choose an instrument if he had been able to get his rights. Luke knew he was lucky in that respect, after all. He was freeborn. There had been no doubt as to whether or not he would be able to take a role that included an instrument as an essential part, but Vader had been born a slave. Nothing was guaranteed as a slave, not even your next sunrise, especially not your next sunrise. Twining the beaded leather back around his hands in the manner that had been taught to him was most secure for when playing, he rested his hands on the cover instead of immediately continuing to play, and he thought he almost sensed a flash of disappointment at that around him. Chuckling softly at how, despite everything else, Vader was behaving very much like a child at the moment, Luke watched as the man tilted his head in curiosity, now aimed at Luke. I must admit, I did not think... You would play the pendant ocarina, little one, he noted softly, curiously as he leaned forward slightly in his seat. The bells or the drums, perhaps, maybe even something with strings, but the ocarina, especially in this form, 
admittedly never crossed my mind. Luke laughed softly, but nods at an agreement. Yeah, everyone back home was pretty surprised when I chose this, too. A more ceremonial instrument was definitely the expectation for me, but... He trailed off, shrugging his shoulders. I suppose even back then I never really expected to stay grounded for long, he divulged with a bit of a smile. A flash of surprise and understanding washed over him, bright and dark and like the night sky and a million stars he'd dreamed of seeing. Grinning at the man, Luke was gratified to see Vader immediately nod knowingly. A traveler's instrument, he said softly. Yes, I suppose that does make sense with how you fly. Exactly, Luke said with a chuckle. I don't think I could have ever chosen something that would be difficult to lug around or moons help me. Something that had to be stationary or hidden within the desert herself. He shouted theatrically and grinned even wider when Vader rumbled out a burst of staticky laughter and nodded in agreement. I can see your point, little one, he agreed easily, amusement coloring the monotone of the vocoder light and warm. I may have never seen the bells of the Kashmir Ridge or the drums of stone, but I doubt they would be particularly inclined to be transported in the snub fighters you seem to favor. As Vader finished, mischief gleamed in the air like morning dew during the rainy season. Thinking back towards the massive, ornate bells that have been hung in the very mountains themselves, supports hewn out of the jagged, needle-like peaks of the Kashmir Ridge, Luke could only laugh and nod in agreement, even setting aside the fact that the bells were old enough that no one, not even the children's oldest stories, could say for sure who had hung them, or that removing them would likely amount to sacrilege. The fact remained that each individual bell weighed several tons even at their smallest. They were incredible, breathtaking sights to behold and hear, and the plateau around which they were clustered within the mountains was used by communities of children from far and wide to welcome in newly freed siblings whenever possible. To hear them proclaim the freedom of those gathered to the very desert herself would always stay with Luke. But to become a bell ringer himself, with all the responsibilities that would tie him to Tatooine as tight as one had to tie their purse in the city, give him the ocarina any day even if he did miss the spectacle of the great bells in action. Maybe I could take you to them one day? Luke asked, almost absently as he remembered the sensation of feeling the sound waves beating against his chest with every bell rung. Vader's strangled sound shook him out of that reverie, though, and he looked in confusion as a mess of emotions practically fell out of Vader. The sentiment is appreciated, little one, Vader rumbled hesitantly. But I am neither a child nor welcome on Tatooine. I do not believe it would be a wise idea to- What do you mean not welcome? Luke blurted out. You're my home, you'd always be welcome. Vader stared at him silently and Luke got the impression of befuddled blinking while he stared right back. I... Well, yes, Vader agreed, clearly out of his depth and more than a little confused. But, little one, I... As I am, am not welcome. Says who? Luke challenged, righteous indignation welling up inside him as he thought of who might ban a child, even a former one, from their own birth planet. You are of Tatooine, he asserted firmly, unwilling to budge, and even if you are no longer a child, your mother clearly was. I still am. I am your home and you are mine. That makes you welcome by definition. Vader seemed taken aback at Luke's sudden outburst, but he was far too fired up to stop now. Who had thought 
They have the authority to ban a former child from the desert on which their mother rested. Who dared presume that their voice was enough to make Vader unwelcome on Tatooine, the desert? Who dared? I, little one, Vader began gently. It doesn't quite work that way. Your home is of the desert, Luke shot back, voice hard as the rocks of the wastes that he called home. You were of the desert. Your mother was of the desert. By all the laws of the desert, you are welcome. Even if people would not want you there on principle of disliking the Empire, they still couldn't deny you the right to be welcome in the desert, he asserted. Before a thought occurred to him, and he narrowed his eyes. Unless you were talking about hut law, he said slowly, drawing each word out as he tasted the air around him for a reaction. In which case, since when did you start counting the laws of the masters as higher than that of the desert? Vader stared at him, silent and stunned, his feelings blown wide open and vulnerable. Realization and revulsion warred inside him, and Luke noted with some concern that there was something black and toxic running throughout all of it, pulsing in thick and putrid veins through the gentle darkness of Vader's night. He narrowed his eyes as he tried to get an angle on what he seemed to be sensing, but between one moment and the next, Vader had calmed down again and the strange things were drawn back out of Luke's sight. When indeed, Vader murmured quietly to himself, looking nowhere in particular, it seemed, and Luke regarded the question. It almost sounded like his home was realizing something about his own mindset and what it meant, and thinking back to the rancid attempts at undermining Vader the Emperor had made not all that long and a lifetime ago. He wondered if he should attempt to press his advantage. It could go wrong, but if he was careful, read the signs, and kept his cool. It could also go very, very right, and there were rarely opportunities to break or even weaken someone's chain-blind mindset. He could try. He could try and hope and pray that it would make any, even the slightest, sliver of progress on Vader's chain-blindness. He could try. Swallowing, Luke carefully weighed the words on his tongue. I... No, you invoked your right, he began softly, and Vader's eyes immediately fell on him like a brick. And I know you're no longer a child, but did you really distance yourself to the point that you would now allow the Masters to dictate who is and isn't welcome on Tatooine? Within the desert, he asked earnestly. Did you really forget that much? Vader was silent for a long, long while. Emotions warred around them, boiling and burning through the air like a wild thing, cornered and trapped as it viciously bitten the air into itself into Vader. It was brutal, it was horrific, it was... enough. Vader, he repeated sternly. The emotions abruptly flaring and falling silent as the entirety of Vader's focus turned to Luke. He breathed in a deep breath and looked straight into the red lenses, imagining that he could see the eyes hidden behind. Did you forget? He asked again, softly, gently. And there was another moment of silence, and Luke almost feared that the vicious, snarling thing would reawaken, but... Yes, Vader responded in a voice so small he hadn't known the vocoder capable of it. Yes, I suppose I did. 
Luke smiled ever so slightly softly at the man as he got an idea. Picking up the ocarina again, he idly realigned his fingers with six of the holes in the instrument, idly tapping away at them as he spoke. Well, now you remember, don't you? He said quietly, trying not to break the man's contemplation. This was progress, great progress, of how we do not let the masters dictate who we are. He tapped quietly against the lacquered ceramic with his fingernails and metal fingertips, a soft clinking sound dancing through the air of how we are more than they ever wished us to be. Vader huffed out a small sound, but nodded. Yes, he muttered, voice sounding like it came from far away and all too near. I suppose I do, he shook his head. Or I'm attempting to, anyway, little one. Luke grinned wide. That's all right, he said, toying with the pendant. We have time, but think on it a little, he urged gently. I'm your home, and you are mine. You will always be welcome. If you wanted to, we could definitely go to the Bells of Kashmir someday in the future. Who knows? He muttered as he thumbed over the seal on his pendant. You may not be a child anymore, but your right of freedom is something to consider. It would be a sight to see, if nothing else, he finished quietly, smiling as he looked up at the man. Vader, for his part, looked terribly lost. Not something that was altogether too surprising if one took chain blindness into consideration, but there was something there, underneath all the turmoil and confusion, something small and fragile, something longing and hopeful. I think, Vader murmured at last, voice fragile as his hope, that I... That I would like that, little one. The mask jolted as if trying to shake something off, and when he spoke again, his voice had found its footing again. Not now, but sometime, yes. Then let me know when it's sometime, okay? Luke asked, a teasing lilt to his tone before dropping any form of jest in its entirety. I'll make plans for when you do, he promised. Not exactly a vow, but it felt as binding as one nonetheless. The bills of Kashmir, Vader wondered quietly. I must admit, I did not think I would ever get the chance to see them. Not even when I was free, and didn't that just say a million unspoken words about the state of his freedom, Luke thought. Any freed, even a child should at the very least be able to dream of their rights being held at the heart of the Kashmir Ridge. It wasn't essential to freedom, nothing was beyond the very act of being free, but it was still important, precious. It was the openness of one's culture and community, the thrill of journeying so far when previously one might not have even been allowed beyond a fence. The wonder of open skies and mountain peaks, and an oasis hidden within the earth itself. It was a part of the flight paths, as much as the actual flight within the Junlin Wastes. And he knew for a fact that in other places on Tatooine, there were similar sacred rites where children could perform their rites of freedom. He had wanted to see all of those as well, visit every place that brought such joy to his siblings, maybe one day. For now, making the journey towards the Bells of Kashmir with Vader seemed like a far-off dream. 
Well, I'll definitely have to take you one day then. Luke noted happily. Someday. Yes, Vader agreed. Something odd in his voice. Someday. In the meantime, Luke said, drawing Vader's attention back to the present from wherever it had wandered off to, would you mind if I finish the first runner's flight? He held up the pendant with a meaningful look. Surprise cut through the air like a shooting star, and Luke had to admit that there was something gratifying in the way Vader's lenses immediately tilted down to the pendant he was holding before back up again. The path of stars, he said, surprise and just a hint of awe coloring the monotone of the vocoder. Luke laughed silently and nodded, glad to see that even if his home had forgotten much, he hadn't forgotten music. Yes, the song was going well enough that I thought I might as well see if I could make my new fingers cooperate well enough to play the fourth movement as well, he said as he tapped the metal edges of the fingers in question at the side of the pendant, giddiness setting in once more as he remembered just how, even while playing The Coming of Storms, his prosthetic fingers had never seemed slower or more unwieldy than his organic ones, reaching just as smoothly and swiftly even as he pushed his own limits with what he could perform even before losing a hand. His prosthesis nearly singing in a way Luke didn't quite understand the harder he pushed it. The Path of Stars was nothing to scoff at, and he may fail miserably, but he'd never know if he didn't try, right? Vader, for his part, was radiating a hesitant sort of excitement that had Luke grinning in turn. I must admit I did not think that the first runner's flight could be played on a pendant, he said wonderingly clearly eyeing Luke's instrument with curiosity as he settled into his chair. Let alone the path of stars. Well, Luke said with a grin, tapping out the main riff of the movement without playing it just yet, refamiliarizing himself with the complex lacework of notes. I never did do well with limits and boundaries. It's why I looked towards the sky for my adventure. Vader chuckled quietly. Then you and I may be more alike than anticipated, little one. He returns to Luke's surprised look. I remember dreaming of seeing every star in the sky. And visiting them all, Luke completed, voice a touch breathless as a slow smile of recognition bloomed over his face. Just like... The first runner ran between the stars. They finished together. And for a moment, just a moment, Luke swore he could see the night sky shine around them as their voices fell into perfect sync. They stared at each other for a moment, and Luke could feel the shared recognition, the familiarity, the kinship, warm him up inside like he'd just eaten an entire bowl of one of that brew's stews. He wasn't alone in this. Somewhere on Tatooine, decades ago, the person Vader had been back then had looked to the stars and dreamed the exact same dream Luke had. He wasn't alone. Even then, he wasn't alone. More alike than anticipated indeed, Vader repeated. And there was a breathless quality to his speech that didn't translate well through the vocoder, but that the mirror image of all the emotions Luke was feeling translated better than anything. Vader had dreamt of the stars too all those years ago, of walking between them just to be there with no goal in mind. So many people he'd met over the years had dreamt of the sky too, but they'd dreamt of escape of leaving for a goal of going somewhere. But Luke... Luke had just wanted to fly between the stars for the sake of it, explore and fly through the deepest recesses of space with no rhyme or reason but simply to be there, drift amongst the endless void and twinkling lights, 
Something just felt right about that. And he couldn't pinpoint why, but something... Something told him that Vader had felt that pull too. That draw. Like it was where they were meant to be. The most natural thing in existence. Star Dreamers, he muttered quietly, still staring into the red lenses with a disbelieving grin as he recognized himself, as if staring in a mirror. Star Dreamers, the both of us. Vader nodded quietly. Fated, he murmured, nearly inaudible. It was fated. Luke laughed almost soundlessly. It certainly seems like it, huh? He muttered just as softly, face hurting from beaming so brightly and Luke couldn't care the slightest bit. How many stars have you seen so far? He asked in a breath, unwilling to risk breaking this precious, shining moment that he felt like he'd been waiting for his whole life. More than you could have dreamed of, little star, Vader responded, and there was something heavy to that response. A weight of history that Luke didn't know, and perhaps would never know. More than you could dream of. Luke huffed at a soft breath, smile not abating as he tried to imagine every star that Vader must have seen over the course of his life. It seems I have a lot of catching up to do then, he mused, idly tapping out the riff on his pendant one more time, because I want to see them all. Vader laughed quietly in a clatter of static, the air around him laughing with him as it sparked to life with fondness, recognition, and a fragile hope for the future. If you would permit me, he muttered softly, I would show you every last one of them, those I have seen, and all those still waiting out there. It's a deal, Luke agreed brightly. Warmth and joy misty as it rose through the air on the thermals of memories and hope. Now then, he said, finishing tapping out the riff for the last time and holding up the pendant with a smile. The path of stars? If you would be so kind, Vader agreed, sitting back while anticipation shimmered in the air. I would love to hear it once more. Without any further words and the flash of a smile, Luke took in a slow, deep breath and blew out the first trilling notes of the last movement of the first runner's flight. High and alert as they entered the slave quarters, the masters still far out in the sand of the dune sea, trailing back from their unsuccessful hunt. With grace notes and switching octaves, he added voice after voice as the first runner passed through the quarters, gathering siblings by the dozens as they went until at last a thousand voices joined the chorus of the song. Luke knew he wouldn't be able to do the thousand voices of the chorus like the one time, and only one time. He had heard it performed at the Bells during one of the largest freedom rites he had ever seen. Forty-three siblings had joined them in freedom that day, Luke having personally run eight of them through their flight. And nearly every runner and child in the Jumlin Wastes had been in attendance, instruments in tow to welcome the freed in. The first runner's flight had rung out through the mountains like never before, all celebrating the joyous return of their siblings to freedom with music, dance, and song. It had been a day to remember. And while he would never be able to replicate the thousand voices of the chorus like he'd heard them that day on his own, he could still strive to try. And to try he did. 
His fingers flew as they tapped, pressed, and teased out the notes from his ocarina, pushing the very limits of what his little instrument was capable of as the first runner gathered round all their siblings, urging them to move faster and swifter before the master came back, and then, with a thousand souls around them, they called on the storm. And the storm answered, a high, piercing note in conjunction with the deepest one his instrument could make, heralded the arrival of the great sandstorm of the desert. Kestra, in all its glory, had arrived. And a whirlwind of notes, octaves, and impossible jumps in pitch marked the moment when a thousand and one siblings were raised up into the sky, beyond the clouds, beyond the blue, and into the embrace of the stars. The soaring riff of the path of stars jumped in with the thousand voices as the children walked the skies for the very first time towards freedom, their bodies discarding the loads and burdens they'd carried for so long until they were as light as the stars themselves. Light, brilliant, and shining out from the sky in a trail where they were still running to this day, free and eternal, following their runner between the moons and across the night the brightest star of them all that every child knew the name of. The Skywalker. And with every note that told the story, soaring, tumbling, and as free as any star, Luke could feel the quiet awe and joy from his side, Vader silently listening to one of the first stories any child was told, as soon as their eyes could see the stars. And with every breath he drew, the air tasted of memories, and the moments they spent gazing at the sky with a shared dream, separated only by time. Two star dreamers, feeling that all this time they weren't alone, at long last. The text of this story is available on AO3. Theme music written by Jack Donkadai, Sputnik, and Sam Gabriel. If you would like to commission me to record a story, voiceover, or character, Please get in touch with me using the contact information on my website, which is located at samgabrielvo.com. And there you can find other stories that I've read, as well as links to my Patreon page, to which I hope you will consider subscribing to support me, and my Discord server, where I record things live for your enjoyment. And finally, as always, thank you for listening.